friends, and welcome to Monday's edition of the Kings of Anglia podcast. It's a very happy Monday because Kieran McKenna's reign as Ipswich Town Manager continues to go really well, start really well, couldn't really gone better thus far. They absolutely thumped Gillingham 4-0 on Saturday. The game was pretty much over by half-time, and that is a note on which we start our Monday pod today. Hope you all had a good weekend. The four Kings are here today. Obviously, Mr Bacon's still a long-term absentee. Stewie just throwing his computer across the desk, if you're hearing that on the audio. Um, I'm your host, Mark Heath. I already uh, touched on it. Stuart Watson is also here. The doctor, Stewie, what are you doing? Uh, I was just trying to to use my machine and knocked it. Is that all right? <laughs> just a reminder, if you are going to start typing, maybe hit mute because it does come across on the audio. Um, but you're with us. Uh, Hutchie, how are you, my friend? Mr. Andy Warren? I'm with us. Yep. I love how Stu calls his laptop his machine. Always <laughs> always has, always will. And I like it. Don't stop. Mike Bacon does it too. His machine. Outstanding. And Roscoe, what do you call your laptop? Have you got a nickname for it? Um, no, it's just there to use when I need it. <laughs> Although I thought I broke it in Gillingham because it was very wet. I finally dried off and I thought it was broken because it wouldn't come on. Um, so yeah, I was a bit concerned. I was about to message the boy. He said, "I may need to borrow your laptop when you finish your work because mine won't come on." But it did come on eventually. So you, you were calling it some sort of names, I'd imagine, at Gillingham. Yes, you, you yeah. bastard, that sort of thing. Pretty I'd much. Imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, boys, obviously, I've already said Town had a great weekend. You've all had a great weekend, I'm sure, as a result because it was Town absolutely smashed Gillingham four nil in one of the finest showings in recent times on Saturday. And before we get into all that, and obviously we're going to break that down in some depth, there is something we need to touch on before we get going something that's parked roughly as much debate as Novak Djokovic trying to get into Australia. Um, and that is Hutchie's rascal footwear that he sported on, on Saturday. Stuart Watson, you're the man responsible for sharing this with the masses, bringing it to the wider consciousness. Um, if you could just set up Hutchie's fantastic pair of sneakers. Yeah, well, listeners probably don't know, but Andy's got a bit of a, a trainer fetish that has been growing over, I would say, steadily over the last six to 12 months. I think it would be fair to say Andy's got a bit of an addiction to ordering new trainers on, online. He will quite often turn up on when he, when uh, when we convene for our journeys to, to away games, he'll, he'll turn up with a new pair of trainers. Uh, we jumped out of the car sort of road parked at Priestfield on Saturday, jumped out the car and I looked down and I said, what are those? <laughs> Immediately saw them. Uh, if you haven't seen the post on social media, um, they're brown trainers, but with a sort of a pink tongue and some some light blue laces. Here we are. They're, they're appearing on Andy's screen now for those that are watching. Um, it was my most commented on interacted on post of the day on a day that Ipswich won 4-0 I think we've got about four or five comments on the uh on the full-time tweet 132 on Andy's trainers so um I'll leave others to discuss the fashion merits of, of said trainers but I mean where do you stand on them because you obviously moved enough to, to take a picture of them and share it Stewie so is that because you're a fan or because you're not a fan um I I don't know if I could pull them off but I, I admire Andy going for it. Just sort of, he said, "I've got to keep myself young." Was Andy's, <clears throat> was Andy's reasoning? I'll let the man. I'll let the man talk through his own decision. I mean, Hutchie, that's that's a really polite way of you saying he hates them. Um, before we before we get into that, um, can you just show them again, just so that people can can see them? These are without any any sort of advertising. These are a, a brand that that rhymes with hikey. Um, there we go. What is the what's the actual 
stats on those? What they what they call? They're the they dunks. No, um, Nike SB Blazer mids. Okay, and because uh, on the picture they look grey with a with a very bright pink tongue, but they're brown, no, are they? They're brown. Yeah. Okay. Um, like bar- basketball brown. Yeah. Uh, color. Fair to say that there was a lot of jealousy in those comments. Um, Overwhelmingly to... positive. The comments. <laughs> Just positive after positive, rolling, rolling in. Um, I mean, I, I saw people actually posting gifs of, of people vomiting and, and things like that, um, which I thought was a bit harsh. Well, I don't really care, to be quite honest. I, I, I like them. Um, you're not going to stop me. I like them. So I've, I've got to say, actually, I like them too. I'm here. I thought it. you I, would. And I thought uh, you would. The thing I liked about it most is you wore them perfectly. They're, they're a statement bit of footwear. So everything else you're wearing was black, apart from these outrageously bright trainers. And that's the way you should do it. Sartorially speaking, Rossi, you're the uh, the group's youngster. You're down with the kids and that. Um, <laughs> what what did you make of them? I liked them. Yeah, I think Andy wore them very well. He walked the walk, and um, yeah, I like them. Um, although they're not Adidas, so you know, yeah, yeah. you're not contractually obliged to. Uh, you're you're not allowed to talk about them, look at them, anything, because you're dressed head to toe in Adidas every week. <laughs> Although I've got Puma on today, so other brands are available, of course. That's like the, that's Adidas's deadly enemy. That's that's yeah. his brother's brand when they split. That's also like this comfy. It's comfy. It's also the most Suffolk uh, pronunciation of, of of Puma I've ever heard. <laughs> Want to get want to get yourself some Puma boy, um, <laughs> uh, Hutchie. I think one of the guys, one of the members of the KO Army, Mullet, uh, one of my fighting friends. I like him. Um, pointed out because you said you've also worn them against Wickham, didn't you? So now they're officially your lucky kicks and have to be worn at all times for town games. You, you happy with that? I, I can take that. Yeah, you, you wait till everyone sees my Monsters Inc. trainers that I've got. Oh, <laughs> that's going to send the people wild. But. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I can I can do that if you want. I, if if that's if that's my my contribution to this uh, push for getting back into the promotion race, then I'm I'm happy to do that. It's it's no hardship for me. I like it, and I didn't realise. So Hutchie kits a particular passion. We can see behind you. You've got a kit a kit of the day. We'll maybe get onto a bit later. Trainers. I never realised you're that big into trainers, but but you are, um, which is fantastic. So uh, there you go. There were some people suggesting that you may have been. Sporting them as some sort of early midlife crisis after my comments about you being dull, which obviously you're not, um, but clearly not. You just like trainers. You like yeah. you like bright colours. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy on. I've not got like. A, I'm not. I'm not like Grant Ward. I've not got hundreds yeah. and hundreds. I've probably got about eight pairs of trainers. What would be but, your dream pair? Have you got a, a dream pair, a target pair that you want? Um. Yes, but I can't remember what they're called. They're I only saw them for the first time. I, I, I basically this has egged me on. If anything, yeah, this whole this whole scenario has just egged me on further. So I do have a new target pair. Um, we'll see how it, we'll see if I can raise the funds, raise the capital. Excellent. To, uh, maybe to get them done. Maybe a GoFundMe page, friends, to 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 fund Hutchie's extravagant. Don't habit. do do not send me, <laughs> do, do not do not send me money to buy trainers. There are people oh, yes. starving in the world. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, then that's enough trainer chat. Um, Roscoe said there he uh he walked the walk and it's which town talked the talk on Saturday, boys. Um, and and it took him less than half an hour really to do their talking with their feet. Um, I've previously said that Kieran McKenna might be a bit dull, 
But if this is the way Ipswich Town are going to perform, I don't care if he collects fungus and has a list of his favourite moulds. Um, play on, I say, because Kieran McKenna's Ipswich Town, they play some sexy football boys. Um, Stewie Watson, what a performance on Saturday. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, you said the game was over at half-time. The game was over after 23 minutes, which is when Ipswich Town had gone 3-0 up. Um, the most complete performance I've seen from Ipswich Town for some time. We've seen in in spells what these group of players are capable of. Um, we knew they'd put together really what on paper should be a talented squad. And at times we've, we've seen it with the four goals at, at Port, Portsmouth and Wickham, the 6-0 against Doncaster. But what I liked most about this is that there was a consistency from the first half to the second. They married the very, very good pass and move slick football, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit more depth in a moment with the gritty stuff as well. Gillingham, yes, they are in a in a real funk at the moment. I think that's 12, 12 without a win now. Steve Evans has, has been sacked off the back of it. They've had COVID and injury problems, of course, but... The way that Ipswich took them apart and the way that Ipswich dealt with some of the the, the long ball stuff and, and long throws and everything, very, very good. Very good performance. Mm. Hutchie, you were watching your, your fancy sneakers on. Were you uh, kept warm by the performance? Yeah, loved it. Pure, uh, <clears throat> pure dominance, almost from start to finish, certainly in half an hour. Um, but the thing, the thing that I like the most is, I said this in our post-match video that we did. That how many times on this podcast have we sat here and said Paul, Paul Cook's got a full week of training with these players that can't wait to see what they produce? Paul Lambert's got always oh, an international break. It does mean two weeks on the training field. That's great. They can get they can get get it together. And you wait till they come out after this international break, and it just never happened on with any of those two managers. Those breaks mm. never happen. Um, obviously, a bit of a delay for for McKenna's second game here due to due to COVID, and and they've used that time so well. You could just you could just see it in front of your eyes. They played well against Wickham. They were organised and well prepared for that game. Um, but this time, this time it was a different team. They were they were so well prepared for what was to come from Gillingham. But more importantly, they were well prepared for what they were going to produce themselves: passing, moving, tackling. Everyone knew their role. It was really well organised, but also they had the ability to play off the cuff in certain areas of the pitch as well, and they enjoyed themselves. It was brilliant. Rossi, did you enjoy yourself pitch side? How wet did you get, first of all, pitch side? Because obviously Gillingham famously open to the elements, particularly that away end. Ridiculous, by the way. It wasn't as bad as forecast. Um, It got to the 80th minute. And then it decided to absolutely hammer it down. And I thought, oh, I just got away with it. Just about, but no, it got very wet. But uh, no, I think A1 ignored the the weather because <laughs> we saw sexy football, four goals, happy day in Kent. And um, I was proven wrong because I thought this was going to be a grind, a 1-0 win for town. But I was very much surprised in the first opening 30 minutes. thinking, wow, this is sexy football. Kieran McKenna, I love you. <laughs> yes, Jerry. Um, let's get into the game then, shall we? Kieran McKenna's second game as Ipswich Town manager. Fantastic start. Um, stuck with the, the three four three. Did you see anything different? Uh, obviously, apart from the uh, the result, um, what did you see different from this game to the Wickham game? Yeah, same outfield ten. Obviously, Walton for Hagkey was the the only change to the game, but they played those outfield ten played the game 
subtly differently. The front three were set up in a slightly different way to, to the Wickham game. As Andy mentioned, Wickham was a an organised, structured performance in which they had to sort of battle out that 1-0 against, obviously, a, a better team in Wickham. And for that to happen, James Norwood and Sonia Luco played very much as as uh, wide men, really, in support of Bond, but they they kind of slipped in and uh, and did their defensive work. This was this was a bit more bit more fluid in terms of the front three. Norwood played a bit more centrally. Bon, instead of kind of playing right on the last shoulder and getting off getting caught offside quite a lot, he dropped into pockets of space. Aluko was back to being that sort of floaty number ten that we saw in the in the Sunderland game previously, and um, Gilling just didn't really know who to pick up where because there mm-hmm. was you know, not just in the front three as well, but there was a fluidity about the whole team. You know, the members of the back three can step forward when, when required. We saw Danassian involved in, in some of the, in one of the moves for, for the goals. Um, Edmonton can bring the ball out from, from the back. Morsi at times he's picking it up off the back four, but at other times he's, he's right up there supporting the attack. And it just creates that bit of unpredictability about the team, which under Paul Cook, I think teams had started to work out, you know, what you're going to get with with a Paul Cook. 4-2-3-1, you knew exactly what everyone was going to do at various different times. There's, It's still organised, it's still structured, but there's there's enough to kind of keep the opposition second-guessing all the time. That's That's what I've liked about McKenna football so far. Mm. Hutchie, I mean, right from the very first press conference, we said adaptability, fluidity, being like water um, is, is kind of what McKenna wants from his side. And this is a pretty good example of it, wasn't it? I mean, the goals themselves were things of beauty, by mm. and large. That's what I like. That's what I'm encouraged by the most um, with McKenna is is the adaptability. You, you can tell he was incredibly well prepared for this game. He was already talking about the Bolton game in his post-match press conference from this game about how the, the challenge is going to be different there and that you know, the hint was that, that tweaks will be required. So it it's it's nice. I enjoy it. Uh, I think we're going to be having these discussions quite a lot on these podcasts now about about what changed and, and what mm. what the what the kind of the variations were in within games. They're not going to work every single time. Of course, they're not. But um, but but this game was just an example of being incredibly well prepared and executing a game plan perfectly. Although he's a perfectionist, he was he was talking about being unhappy with the final fifteen minutes of the of the first half. There was a slight drop off there, but I'll be honest, I, I it got to half time and I, I wasn't sitting there thinking that they're letting this slip. Because they, for me, they they were still well on top. But for for him, and he says for the players as well, Wes Burns, I spoke to afterwards, certainly agreed. They they weren't happy with how they finished that that mm. first half. So they'll they'll be really happy with how they came out and, and managed the game in the second because it was never, never, never in doubt. That's for me. I mean, obviously, Kieran McKenna is only thirty five years old. He's very much a young, um, progressive, um, new, exciting approach type of coach. And the way he was talking about. Essentially, they expected that sort of game because Gillingham liked to to go man for man, so there's going to be space, that kind of thing. That that's kind of stuff that we've never really heard before from a from an Ipswich Town manager. That's kind of next level kind of stuff. And I, I wonder if, yes, we've done the old tried and tested kind of old old fashioned old style managers, but one gets the sense with McKenna, he's kind of almost 
seeing it as a, a different game kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, it seems to me yeah. like I think entirely... I... Yeah, I, w- I would say the the, the mm. other managers have they they will have talked about this stuff. It's not mm. that, like but but to verbalise it and and kind of share their thinking with mm. supporters um, is interesting because supporters can see these things in games, um, probably not to the depth that that M- McKenna and the coaching staff do, but like, we can we can see what's going on on the pitch, and it's just really nice to to have a manager willing to to talk about it. Um, mm. If you're that confident in what you're going to do, it's not, it's not, I don't think he's the, he's the type that's going to feel like he, he has to be super kind of secretive about it to avoid sharing the secrets. Because if you just do it well and mm. talk about it after the game, then um, it's too late. You've beat, you've, you've beaten them for now. I've, ne- I've never really understood this kind of almost like you can't give away trade secrets in post-match press conference or like, you know, I can't go into any level of detail because you, you won't understand. I mean, you know, mm. I remember, I think Paul Jewell once sort of said, oh, I'd, I'd explain it to you, but you, you wouldn't understand sort of thing. And, and forget the fact that you're speaking to a journalist sometimes. You, this is your platform to speak to the wider fan base. And I've always said, mm. bring, make them feel part of it. Bring them on, the, your, on your journey with them. Show, show them you're working because that's all, all people want. And, and we appreciate you can't always tell people if your star signing, you know, your star player is injured, you're going to keep that quiet. But there are other times just... There's some long-term injuries. What what was the problem with with telling people where where John Nolan's progress was at, for example, mm. with with Paul Cook? The kind of the reluctance from Paul Cook to even talk about injuries kind of summed up his his sort of reticence to to hold things back. And mm. um, you you don't look coach manager if you're not giving anything away, you you might not think that that we can't see certain things but your opposite manager is going to watch back your game and they're going to have seen everything anyway so uh, yeah it's, it's just really refreshing for him to just show his workings a little mm. bit more and be will, be willing to to talk talk about things a little bit more I've, I've enjoyed that so far hopefully it will continue on a peek behind the curtain tip Stewie um uh, no one who listens to this show will, will have the chance to speak to Kieran McKenna um, at all, really. Uh, but you speak to him after every game. What is he like? It's to me because obviously I've joked about him being a bit kind of dull and understated. But but what, what is he actually like when you speak to him after a game? Is that is he is he kind of straight line, hutchy, classic, not too high, not too low? Is that is very much his demeanour? What's it like? Um, we haven't had loads of time with him thus far. Because, you know, half of it's obviously been done via via Zoom, which I just think you you don't ever really get a chance to to really get a feel for somebody's persona down down a computer lens post-match he's certainly been generous with his time um mm. after the after the Wickham game after he'd sort of patiently gone through all his various media duties with, with television and radio and and press he kind of loitered for a little bit afterwards and, and was willing to talk in a little bit more depth about how his centre-halves had played that day against Wickham uh, and just give a, a even a bit more insight in, into that off the record, uh, and then in the Gillingham game, we kind of with the weather being what it was, we we kind of hunkered down in a in a free um, director's box, uh, commercial box, and um, again just a very casual sort of roundtable discussion in which you know you never felt like anything was was off limits, or you know it was just very polite, very patient. Very meticulous is a word we've heard a lot mm. about Kieran McKenna when he got appointed, and you can you can just tell that 
he thinks about everything, even his answers to all the questions. He there's a little pause, collects his thoughts, and then answers. And um, very considered is is the way I would describe him. Hmm. Refreshing stuff. Um, also refreshing stuff, obviously. Rossi, you were getting refreshed by the the rain on the uh, on the touchline. You have a, a different view to the boys. Have you seen anything different in the two games so far in terms of maybe the way the players are communicating, moving? Anything anything new you've seen? Exactly that, pretty much. And I feel there's just a new case of confidence. I feel. I just feel mm. like players feel and just more comfortable on the ball, and just as you said, they're just just refreshing seeing mm. them plan the way they are, um, and that's just good to see. I think they were lacking confidence, I think, after, well, definitely the Charlton game. That was, well, dearie me, let's not forget, let's not talk about that again. But mm. from that to Saturday, it was just a complete, whole different look at the team. Some some players, like McCauley Bomb, him back scoring again, which is great to see. He looks like a new player. Mm. Even Matt Penny, who is, you know, some people would say he was the weak link in this side, but he, he improved. Mm. Um Luke Wolferden, once again, a video me and Andy did and a piece he did. You know, players who would thrive under McKenna, he's one of those. So, yeah, a lot of confidence going into this team, which is good to see. We should also talk, you were privileged to be in a position where the players are celebrating in front of you. Now, obviously, we no longer share those videos on social media because of the shadowy AFL figures want to spoil our fun and shut down our account, things like that. Um, But uh, after the goals, there were some quite interesting celebrations, weren't there? (laughs) Yeah, so the first one was McCauley Bond, you know, he's going, this is my club, because he was celebrating right in front of the Gillingham yeah. fans, um, and he was going, yeah, this is my club, you know, slapping the, the badge, um, mm. of course, James Norwood on top of him, um, celebrating with him, and then, of course, after they sort of then clapped hands with the other f- players, of course, uh, James Norwood did his standards, um, likes to bait the Gillingham fans or any other opposite fans, yeah. said, unlucky he said that about twice and he did the chin thing because um, they were saying some naughty words. So I had to, before I <laughs> uploaded it for game day, I had to cut out a bit of the um, one of his unluckies because uh, someone said a very <laughs> naughty word. I don't think that should be aired on game day. But um, yeah. no, it's great when they you know celebrate and they say different things. It's sort of a nice little insight for, mm. for me. And of course, it's great that they celebrate my way and Warren Page, the photographer's way, because we get the best sort of footage and pictures. So... Yeah, it was uh, it was good, and as I said, the rain sort of was forgotten about because we were playing well, and um, celebrations came our way. It's just a shame those goals didn't come at the other end in the first half. That yeah. that's the, that would have been. I, I know they the, the away end obviously got Connor Chaplin's late penalty, but if those three goals in twenty three minutes had gone in in front of the away fans, Macaulay Bond to celebrate that goal in, in front of the away fans would have been would have been really nice. So it's always a shame when when the goals come down the other end, but doesn't really matter in the end. The fans did get a bit of Macaulay-Bond interaction though, didn't they, in the second half when, when Bond got, got substituted. He went off on the, the far side of the field and then obviously had to do the long the long walk around the pitch, which took him past that, that away end. Mm. And uh, there was a bit of a surge down to the front to kind of uh, give him high fives. And, and he indicated, someone asked for a selfie and he said, oh, we better do it behind the net. So we're not sort of, uh, you know... Um, impacting on the action and and yeah, he was posing for selfies and slapping hands and they were singing "Sign Him Up" and um, that was a, that was a really nice moment. Yeah, Hutchie, shall we talk about your imperceptible rating scale? Um, because there are, mm-hmm. there are some high scores. 
the boy, I mean, we have to obviously... Edmondson, you may as well write down as a nine every week at the moment, by the, by the sound of it. But um, we also have to have a, a brief moment to appreciate Sonny Aluko, don't we? Because he's... In, in terms of coming from, well, for me, the bottom of the pile of the, of the summer signings, I put him eighth in my re-ranking list. But I think even there, I've been, I've been unkind to him because it, it, he's going to be incredibly important, isn't he? He's surprising everyone. Um, yeah, he's a football player with pedigree. We knew that when mm. we, we signed him, um, when, when he came through the door. Um, but he's, he's such an intelligent player. That's what I, he, he's, I think he's a Kieran McKenna player. Cause I think he, he, I think he'll probably really enjoy the, the kind of the tactical interaction and instruction that comes from McKenna from having spoken to Sonny a couple of times. Mm. He seems like that kind of guy, but he he's classy. He's his touch is really good. His movement is good. He's not lightning quick. His his like his attributes aren't like standout attributes, but they all come together to create a player that's really comfortable on the ball. Is clever. Can move well can get in good positions and and it's just trust you can trust him he's, I think he's a player that a manager would really trust to play mm. probably any position to to get a job done for you he, he's one that I've enjoyed watching watching playing that, that go back to that start against Newport when he he clearly was not fit um and that wasn't a good example of what he could be um but he's he's turned himself into a really important player for this team and um I would imagine there's some level of discussion already about a new a new contract, given that he's only on a only on a one year deal. I'm sure that's at, at the very least being being discussed. Mm. Part of the pass, oh. the, the pass that led to the Macaulay Bond goal, the pre assist, yeah. if you want to call it that, that that found Matt Penny was exquisite, sublime. That would that would grace the Premier League still. You know, mm. it's um, he's just. You could give him the ball in the tightest of areas anywhere on the pitch and you know he'll keep it. You look at his pass accuracy every game, it's up in the high 90s every match. He barely ever gives the ball away. And um, he's the one that just calms everything down. And um, he's, he's a man in form at the moment, but it feels wrong highlighting individual players after that game because that was a team performance. Mm. I, think, I don't think Andy gave anyone below an eight in terms of the outfield players and... Um, Rightly so, because that was that was a performance that was a the sum of the whole of its parts, or whatever the phrase is. So, you know, it's um, that yeah, every, everyone had to be on it for 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 you to have a a, a win like that, and, and they were hmm. greater than the sum of the Thank parts. You. I think is a, is the phrase you're looking for. And also, boys, I thought it's rare that you win four nil away. Um, it's also rare that after uh, you win four nil away, um, a certain unpopular manager gets gets the old heave ho the spanish archer um the elbow uh but yeah mr evans oh we don't want to see anyone lose their job obviously but uh, i think sometimes you might make a little exception for for someone as as uh sorry pleasant as mr evans so he's gone as well so all in all it could be it could have been the perfect saturday for Ipswich town but i want to ask you boys uh clearly i'm I'm very prone to hyperbole and getting excited and jumping up and down about things. And already this season, I've started a podcast proclaiming HMS Pista League is afloat and, you know, we scored six goals against Doncaster, etc. And obviously already under Paul Cook this season, we've seen Town score six against Doncaster. Discount that because it's Doncaster, they're dreadful. But they have won 4-0 away at Portsmouth and they have won 4-1 away at Wickham. 
So these are really, really good results. So is there a danger that we're getting too excited about a result like this? At the end of the day, it was 4-0 away at a team that are, that are shit. They haven't won since October. So is there a risk that we're doing the Heath jumping, getting all excited about stuff? How does this compare in terms of those other results we've already seen this season under a, a different manager, Hutchie? Um, I would be a, a slight party pooper here and say that I still, I would I would rank, in an isolation, I would rank the Wickham win higher because yeah. of the opposition and the fact that they went behind um, and then came back to win that game in, in that manner. You, but the fact that this one has got, it's just got life kind of ahead of it, if if that makes sense. Like this is just an example of what's to come. So it it kind of wets the the appetite, which I think is why um, why it's natural just to feel so positive about it. Like mm. I think we all know that it was against Gillingham. We all know that Gillingham aren't very good, but it, I don't. I know it doesn't it doesn't have to kind of sap the enjoyment from it. Just, just enjoy it for what it is. A, a, clearly, a, a bit of progress mm. um, and some excitement for what's to come. But if you're ask, if you're asking me to rank the wins, I would, I would probably still put the Wickham, the Wickham one higher, just because of the, the manner of how that that came that night against the opposition that it that it came against. Mm. Doesn't mean I didn't have fun though. Of course, we all had fun, Stewie. Um, you referred to, I think, at the very start of the show as one of the most complete performances you've seen from Town in a while. Would you then? rank that above what we've seen so far um yeah i can see what andy's saying i think you have to take into account the level of the opposition and, and where they're at of course you do but the wickham game the 4-1 at wickham they were under the cosh for quite a big spell in that first half and you, you can argue that they showed character to kind of ride that out and and then sort of clinically finished them off on on the counter with with the chances but it was the control of this performance and it was a team that as as Ross mentioned earlier it's only a month ago that that Charlton game was happening and they were getting booed off at a pitch and the team looked utterly devoid of confidence to have got them from there to where they are in the space of 4 weeks and and just the the control of of the game McKenna sort of the improvement from Wickham to this one as well. You know, Kieran mm. McKenna had said, you know, really spirited one nil will win against Wickham. But straight away he spoke immediately after the game, we we wanna we wanna control possession a bit more. There's areas that we can improve on. And then to see that happen in front of your eyes a game later, I think um Normally, if you look at possession, if you look at passing stats, so often these days it's the two fullbacks who have the most touches of the ball, the most passes of the ball. Um, and th- that was Morsey and Evans. They both have more than 100 passes in this game. Mm. And uh, we- we've gone through some individuals with with Edmondson and, and Luco, rightly so, and Norwood scoring again, Bond ending his goal drought. But I thought Morsey and Evans were outstanding in this game, both both in, in very different ways. And to see those two suddenly playing, you know, put what you would describe as Paul Cook men to suddenly mm. sort of be, be, be playing like that... Um, really please me. So I would, maybe it's kind of recency bias, um, but I think I would put this one right at the, at the very top. Yeah. Rossi, you've got the deciding vote then. <clears throat> Hutchie says 4-1 at Wickham, more impressive. Stewie says this one was was the one. You you were pitch side for all of those. What, what do you make of it? Um, I'm going to have to go on to Hutchie's side because Gillingham were 
pretty rubbish. Uh, um, <laughs> Wickham, Portsmouth, they were <clears throat> rubbish as well on on the, those nights when we beat them. But um, it's a different game. Both all of them were different games going into yeah. it. Really, um, of course, we had a lot of time on the training ground. So we were, as I said, I, I was proven wrong. I went for a one nil win for town in this game, and then we got that sexy football. Um, you know, we scored some good goals, but um, I feel it's it's in, it's there, isn't it? It's it's there, like the Wickham game, like the Pompey game. But I think you know, still a long way to go. Um, it's just I hope that kills you, don't it? You know, we're everyone's happy and um, happy that we won beautiful football, but um, it was Gillingham who are rubbish. Yeah, I, I do get that, but then you know, we we're very quick to sort of say that when they they sort of labour to a win against Crew, that it's that sort of downplays a win against Crew because it, oh, it's Crew and. You know, there have been times where it's not a given. I think that's we've still got this almost a little bit of subconscious arrogance about Ipswich Town being in League One and, oh, it's, it's only them and it's this and it's that and should be beating them. You've got to earn the right to win every game. And and, and that's what I liked about this performance. As, as nice as the sexy football was, they did earn the right to play as well. And um, I think McKenna's going to make sure that that is the case. Like Andy said, already he's talking about Bolton and the new challenges for that, and um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't get too fixated on the opposition. You beat what's in front of you, and uh, you, you know. So yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a good win. It is a good win. Um, uh, moving on from that, boys. Obviously, as it stands, Kieran McKenna's got the best record of any Ipswich Town manager of all time. <laughs> two games, two wins. Not even conceded a goal yet. Strolling this, absolutely strolling this. Um, but without kind of joking aside, he's played two games so far, Kieran McKenna. What for you, Hutchie, have we learned so far about about Kieran McKenna as Ipswich Town boss? I think that he's the kind of manager that he says he is. I, it's the it's adaptable. It, it's I mm. think we're, we're we're beginning to learn. We know what his principles are. Like McCauley, McCauley Bond spoke after the game about how him and him and Norwood kind of needed to set the tone for intensity, which is why they maybe only lasted seventy minutes of this game because we we learned that. So that's what he wants up the pitch. We learned that he wants to dominate possession. We learned that he's tactically flexible, um, but. That's just what he said he was going to be at his introductory yeah. press conference. And and I think the thing that I've learned is that he's just been able to put that on the pitch so quickly. That's um that's the big the big thing that I've that I've taken away from it. Stewie, give give us a takeaway out on Kenner. It's been interesting to see a lot of Manchester United fans sharing the video of of the third Ipswich goal, which was mm. the pick of the bunch. If you if you watch the entire move, I think Eight different players in the team touch the ball. I don't think many of them touch it more than twice. It, the move starts from back to front. It goes from left to right. It's um, There's a lot of people going, Manchester United fans going, ah, maybe McKenna wasn't part of the problem after all. And, um, you know, I've seen a few comments saying that actually there's a, there's a few hallmarks of some things that they'd seen at Manchester United. And maybe McKenna was behind some of some of the things that they'd seen at at times there. So my big takeaway is that he's he's got a lovely, quiet, assured confidence about mm. him. Not in a not in a brash way, but just a, a man that it would very, be very easy for somebody to have sort of slight doubts in your mind that this is your first big job, your first steps into management at the age of thirty five, managing players in some instances that are your age or or you know 
slightly older. But he's he's just got you know he was asked about you you know making this look easy. What a journalist asked him, and you know how confident are you? Are you surprised how quickly you've taken to this? And he sort of, in a very respectful way, answered sort of no because I've I've been building up to this for a long time. You got to remember he's been working as a coach since the age of twenty two years of age. I think he's always felt that this path was going to lead him to this point, and he just looks and feels ready he's just got a very nice quiet confidence about him hasn't he Andy he certainly has yeah he um he's dealing with the bits of the job that he he knows coaching right he's a coach we know that he's a coach and it's been great to see that he's coaching the team and and progressing players but he also said in that in that part of the interview that Stu's referenced there about him adapting to the bits of the job that he didn't hadn't done before um, mm. in terms of dealing with the press, dealing with executives and and things like that. And um seems to be doing that quite well as well. So, yeah, I love his confidence. It's not brash, as Stu says. It's um, it's a man that, that knew he wanted to do this and knew he wanted to be a manager and is um, doing it in his way. So, yeah, it's uh, it's enjoyable. The, the caveat, of course, is this is very much the, the honeymoon period. He's come in, he's got off to a good start. They've got the first win sort of based on adrenaline of the new manager bounce. They've swept aside Gillingham in a, in a bad state. Football management is not always sort of uh, sunshine and rainbows the whole time. And it will be very, the first sort of real test for him is when they when inevitably there comes a, a sticky moment and questions gets raised. And that then suddenly everyone will sort of jump on his, his age and his experience and all that sort of thing. And then mm. then we'll kind of see how this calm, meticulous demeanour kind of hand, handles that first little bit of pressure cooker bit of, of football management. And when, you, when you're a bit worried that the Ashton and Co above you are getting a bit twitchy and, and all that sort of stuff, that, that, that'll be interesting to see how, how he handles that. But from what we've seen so far, I, I think he's got the perfect temperament to kind of to kind of navigate any sort of choppy waters ahead, hopefully. But just what you, you mentioned there, Stewie, that the new manager bounce, that is something new. We've not seen that at yeah. Town, have we, before, Rossi? I mean, traditionally, when managers come in, town get worse. They have the opposite effect of what, of the traditional new manager bounce. Yeah, pretty much. It's not not been well. Mick McCarthy got the his first win, but then went on to then lose six nil. Um, yeah, was it two two back to back six nil? Not back to back games, but Leicester and Crystal one was Palace. five, wasn't it? Five at Palace yeah. and six mm. to Leicester within yeah. those first so, few weeks. Yeah, so yeah, those weren't those weren't great, but um, yeah, back to back wins, back to back clean sheets. Um, yeah, he's doing everything right at the moment, and um, you know. The, it was a big risk, you know, appointing him, young manager, but um, he's shown his worth. And, well, he was 32 years old when he got appointed assistant manager under Jose. So he's got something about him if he's uh, getting handpicked by Jose and all the managers at Man United who wanted him there. So, hmm. yeah, I've, I've been really impressed by him. And um, I'm just, I'm happy that we got back-to-back wins. You know, Paul Cook, one time he got back-to-back wins under his management. So McKenna's already beaten that record. He's certainly bucking the trend. I think I'm right in saying, boys, if, if Town win at Bolton on Saturday, McKenna would be the first Ipswich Town manager ever to win their first three games in charge. I believe that's correct. Um, don't at me if I'm wrong, um, but I'm fairly sure that's that's correct. Um, I also, uh, there were some quotes that were kind of overlooked last week from, from Luke Wolfram in the club put out about, it was more kind of focused around a, a new chance for Luke and that kind of stuff. But I thought the really interesting part of that was a bit where Luke was talking about picking 
McKenna's brains about how the best athletes in the world train and play. Because I think anyone can relate to that in any walk of life, be it your work, your own kind of limp athletic career or whatever you're kind of doing, you know, in any kind of walk of life. If you have someone that comes in who is who has worked at a higher level or worked with with kind of um, high level people, there's a lot you can learn from that. And it, and it does give you a lift um, anytime you kind of see the way the very best people operate. And you think actually this is tangible. I can I can I can see this, and I can I can take this on, and I can make this part of how I approach things. Um, so I thought that was that was really interesting that that Wolfenden was talking about that. And clearly that the whole squad. I mean, you've got a man who's 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 been coaching Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of all time, famously um, fastidious and strict in how he approaches his his life. You know, he doesn't eat. There's that famous story, isn't there, about how um, Ronaldo turned up at the first kind of Man United group dinner no one would touch the pudding that was laid out because Ronaldo doesn't eat pudding. Um, and everyone was like, well, if he doesn't do it, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and you would, you would do that, wouldn't you? That's, that is how you, I think that can only be another fantastic string to add to the town bow. They now have the benefit of a man who knows how the world's best players operate. And he can tell Ipswich town players how it's done. Um, and you'd be a fool if you don't incorporate that in, in your professional life. You know, if that's how you make your money and you want to be the very best player you can be, you'd be foolish not to learn from that. Rossi, you want to? I'm, you want to I'm always eating the pudding. I'm always eating the pudding. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an athlete, but I'm always, I'm always eating the pudding. Rossi's... To be fair, mate, I've, I have vivid memories of you jumping the queue at the Ipswich Town buffet in Germany. To I think, yeah, I think the unwritten rule there. If it's don't eat the pudding if Ronaldo's around at Man United, it's don't go up to the buffet before before Paul Lambert. Uh, and you did, didn't you? And I think you had the last... Did you have the last soup? Did you take Paul Lambert's soup or something like that? Yeah, but he didn't mind. He didn't mind. You know, he, we were there, guests, you know, just breaking, you know, coming in and uh, breaking the party up, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All right, boys, let's move on. Um, we can all agree it's been a, a very, very encouraging start for Kieran McKenna. Without getting too excited, and, and the man himself says we can't get ahead of ourselves um, just yet, but certainly you can't do more positive than when both your first two games fail to concede a goal um, and play some very, very sexy football. Um, so we'll see what happens at Bolton this weekend. Um, next on the plan, boys, uh, and for those of you listening and watching this, yes, there is a plan. We do have a rough plan for each show. It may not sound like it, but there is. I've written sexy stuff, question mark, um, and there's not really much of a sexy stuff update, uh, as far as I know. Um, obviously, aside from the Walton stuff we talked about last week, there's been no real new links. So what I'm going to do by way of sexy stuff, boys, is put a question to you. Stewie, um, we talked last week about what town need and where they need to, to feel and what could happen. But if town do nothing, and I know they're not going to do nothing, but if town do nothing this window, um, other than, say, keep Christian Walton and 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 sign, maybe sign Macaulay Bond full-time, something like that, is that okay? If they can produce this with that, that squad they've already got, I'm not, I'm not mad keen on them doing loads of business this month because at some mm. point the madness has to stop. You had a summer transfer window where you've signed 19 and all the talk's been about requiring time to bed in players and gel and, and whatnot. What they have there should have been doing better and Saturday is evidence of that. I think they'll want to make... It's a bit like 
if you've got money in your pocket, you know, burning a hole in your pocket type thing. I think, you know, the, the, there's money behind this clearly now. I think Ashton quite likes the thrill of the chase of a signing. And McKenna's already talked about, you know, I think there's some stuff that's been going on for a couple of months um, before he's even arrived. And, and Ashton, I think when he did his podcast with us days after the summer transfer windows, sort of said we're already sort of starting work on, on January. So there will be a, a temptation to kind of follow through on stuff like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean you should do or you have mm. to. Um because big squads can cause problems for managers. I, I I think sometimes a lot of a manager's time goes into the players that are not playing. You mm. look at the, the squad at the weekend, and I think McKenna's already referenced this. He sort of said that there's some good players that didn't even make the bench. Scott Fraser dropped out of the squad. Burson Selina fit again, didn't make the squad. Um, and you could go through a list of others as, as well. So sometimes adding to it, can create more problems than than solutions. They have to be significant upgrades on what you've got, and I don't know if January is necessarily the time that you can you you can do that. But um, mm. we'll see what happens. I'd, I'd say as well that, that there's a manager there now that if I was, I, I agree with you with, about Mark Ashton. By the way, I think there's there's clearly something he enjoys about the transfer market, and you know what, I'd be exactly the same. Um, it that would be something I'd really enjoy. Um, if I, in the unlikely event I ever found myself in that position, but he's got a coach now who there's every reason to think that there's a coach that can improve the players that they've already mm. got. And I don't know the last time when you would say the last time that was the case at Ipswich, certainly not the previous two um managers, I wouldn't say. Um, or even the two before that, because I, I I think we've heard enough from from a kind of Mick McCarthy's players that to suggest that he didn't improve them, he maybe toughened them and systemized them, um, but but wouldn't improve them as players. There's a coach there who can improve football players. They've invested a fair amount in the squad that's there right now. And if I was if I was Mark Ashton, Mike O'Leary, and the and the board, I I would be quite infused by the prospect of seeing what he can do with them over the next the next few months. I do think there are as well as Matt Penny played at the weekend, he he's kind of a one man band. Assuming that Hayden Coulson isn't available, yeah, you could potentially give someone like Kyle Edwards a go in that role. Um but I would be that would be an area I'm maybe looking at a little bit still. But in in terms of the rest of the squad I'd 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 love to see how he can make these players better before the mm. summer. That would be that would be what I'd be hoping to see. Sometimes change the answer can't always be external, can it? The answer can't always be change. That you know, in football, it's it's always change the manager, change the players. At mm. some point, it has to be about, like you said, improve getting more from what you've got and improving people within the building. Um, that's kind of, you know there are obvious times where things need to change and freshen up, but th- this doesn't feel like that moment for me now. You know, look at it again in in the summer. There's still a long you know we're all getting excited about closing the gap, and there's still it's still eight points with ga- having played more games than teams. You know, a lot of the teams above them. 
Um, there's still a lot of work to do this season. Do you really want to be going on an all-out sort of gamble for for short-term improvement now, or is is that money better? Is it better just to call your jets and and see what happens over these next few months, and then and then really look at it in the summer? Mm. Actually, just on the point of order, um, Stu there made reference to having money burning a hole in your pocket. If you've got money burning a hole in your pocket, do you go trainers or do you go kits? Um. Kits, probably. <laughs> I think I, I think the way that I the way that I shop for these items, I can get more for my money in the uh, in the kit uh, in the kit realm. Would be would pr- probably more bang for buck in the in the kit realm rather than trainer. Trainers is kind of the marquee signing, the Bursant Selena, yeah. uh, Sam Morsi on deadline day get it done whereas if i'm building a squad i'm building them out of out of kits i love the way your little face lights up whenever we we mention the word kit just just um, make just anything other than the actual football i'm here bits around the edge i don't even like football i just love the stuff around the edges of it i love the kits and Can, before we and... move on this is, this has reminded me thoughts on arsenal's uh kit in the cup yesterday, Andy, and the, specifically the squad, the the squad numbers that sort of blended in. Did you see oh, that? Mate, yeah, I, I have a I have a fundamental problem with squad numbers away from league competition. Anyway, I, I, they they become a bit a bit ropey. Some of them because they're allowed to do their own style of numbers, aren't they? Um, that wasn't the worst crime of the weekend. I don't know if any of you watched um, watched Swindon and Man City on Friday night, but Man City wore one of those badgeless ones, you know, those really bad Puma ones mm. that are just just had, I think it just said Man City on it. They're so it's bad. Just, they're awful. It's the first time I've watched a game with anybody wearing, I think I saw AC Milan wear one actually previously, but it's the first time I've watched an English team wear one. They're, they're horrific. They and remind I, I think... me of when you go on holiday as a, as a kid to Spain and your mum and dad would get you one off some sort of dodge, <laughs> dodge, dodgy <laughs> market store. Oh, th- thanks, Dad. Yeah. Mm, I think Swindon players were refusing to swap shirts with with the Man City players because they were that bad. Just, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want your shirt. I don't want your shirt, Bernard, Bernardo Silva. Keep it. It's dreadful. <laughs> and also just by way of, of keeping the theme going Hutchie what's the uh, what's your kit of the day just over your shoulder you know the drill you tell me well Stewie go on I mean from, from uh, my point of view it looks like a Denver Broncos American football shirt but um, it's not long sleeved long sleeved yeah, Nacho it's, 12 it's not, it's not a goalkeeper it's not a goalkeeper shirt it's just a long sleeve one there is there are some clues on there is, it an, interna- is... is it an international kit no no it's gonna be Spanish, isn't it? Spanish. Yep. Yeah. You can. There's a shirt mm-hmm. patch on there on the, the the left sleeve that you should that should mm-hmm. that should tell you if you know your kits. There's oh, two that, little. Is that a Red Bull logo? I can't see. No red team. This is great. This is great audio. Um... <laughs> say, what, say what you see. Paint a picture. Sporting for Dion. So it's, essentially, listeners, no. it's 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 a long sleeve orange top with the, with the number twelve on the back and the name Nacho. Uh, and there's there's stuff on the sleeves which I can't quite make out. I've got absolutely no idea. Obviously, a, a Spanish top. Any guesses, boys, before Hutchie puts us out of our considerable misery? No, sorry. Natural Manrell. Is it Natural Manrell's no, kit? It's not, no, it's not him. No. It's a it's um a completely unknown player. Actually, he's I think he's okay. Uruguayan. Did absolutely nothing. The clue that should give it away is um 
on the little black collar there, there's a black collar on it. There's a little logo. And if you if it was a bit closer and you'd be able to see, I hope you'd get it. It's got a bat on it. If I told you it had a bat, there was a bat on it, who would who would that help you? Nope. Uh Valencia. Ah, okay. Ah, uh, yeah. Can we see yeah. the front of it, Hutchie? Now we've uh Yeah. Is it is it within within reach? Uh, I'll have to get up, but oh, I'll do so that. Keep talking. Cool. You sorry about that. that. Um so Ross, while, while Hutchie does that. Um, if Town do nothing this transfer window, is that oh, we'll, we'll wait for Hachi now to show the front? Here we go. So there's there's your bat. Ah, oh, there's uh, the bat. Mm. Oh, I, don't, I don't like that at all. It's not about liking it. I don't particularly like it. <laughs> Badges <laughs> should not be in the middle of of kits. I feel strongly about that. Well, you need to write to Kappa because they they do that a lot. So not that uh, strongly. <laughs> what's the what's the what's the significance of the bat? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, again, ask Valencia. <laughs> All right then, Rossi. So uh, let's just finish this just sexy stuff chat. Um, now we've talked about shirts and whatnot. If Town do nothing, this transfer window don't add anyone at all. Are you happy with that? If we can keep hold of Walton and mm. Bond. If they don't, they don't get recalled, then I, I think, yes, I am a little bit, but I still think we need that left side sorted. But I think yeah. for the rest of the squad, I'm happy to go with the bands to go for the rest of the season. But yeah, we'll see. I don't, yeah, we don't want a whole new, rip up the whole squad, yeah. bring Kieran McKenna's own, you know, touch to it. Mm. Let Kieran McKenna improve these players and um, we'll see what happens. But Hopefully there is some business there because they'll, they'll keep us busy doing, you know, videos oh, yeah, we and, and stuff. <laughs> regardless of what actually happens, there'll be plenty of rumours and stuff, won't there, to keep us yeah. going and, and, and stuff the boys will, will dredge up, I'm sure. Can we read anything into the fact that Caden Jackson suddenly um, returned at the weekend and was on the bench? Is that Do you think he is in any way in the plans or is it kind of putting him in the shop window sort of thing, boys? I would say that that is a good... That maybe highlights how just how much intensity... Kieran McKenna wants from his strikers. Um, mm. the, the first change at the weekend was a, a was a double change, Jackson and Piggott on for for Bon and Norwood for the final final twenty minutes. Um, I I think Bon and Norwood left every kind of ounce on the on the pitch there, and I think maybe that was just their their presence on the bench maybe just showed that that was a change he also always considered making. Potentially, I think he's got a real job to do to push himself ahead of particularly the two that started. Um, but but he does have he does have assets that others don't in in terms of some some lightning pace that he he has. I think I think he's learned to use it a little bit better um, over the last couple of years. Um, I I think Caden Jackson is the player that he's referring to most when he said there are players here that we are happy with, but they might be wanting a conversation with us about not getting enough minutes and their opportunities elsewhere. I think he fits that sort of high-intensity front player. Um, would be quite happy to use him now and again off off the bench. I'm not sure that Burson Selina is, is that sort of all-action type player. His best opportunities, again, McKenna's reference, we've got to find the got to, we've got to find the most effective way to use Burson Selina, well aware of his talents, but I mm. guess his position would be that sort of Sonny Aluko uh, role at the moment as the number 10. But um, yeah, I, ultimately, I think Caden Jackson's not going to be 
happy with with sort of bits and pieces off off the bench here and now he's not played a lot of football for for quite a long time so they you know we're talking about the January transfer window I think ultimately it will be letting people move on who want to move on and, and then maybe re- replacing them sort of appropriately I, I would suggest okay all right also sorry before we move on from that you're talking about sort of changing the the front players with 20 minutes to go and you know the front players giving everything and then mm-hmm. and then swapping them to be fair, that is exactly what Paul Cook said he wanted to do all the time. His football was about, you know, I want to change the three, two or three attacking players with 20 minutes to go. And he'll argue that circumstances meant he never got to do that because Kane Vincent Young would go off injured or, but you know, Wes Burns would go off injured and defenders, he kept having, there was a stage where he kept having to change both fullbacks at half time, yeah. didn't he, for, for reasons outside of his control. So... I'm sure managers always look look in on things with a bit of a wry smile, sort of thinking that the wheel has been reinvented and, you know, da-da-da. And you'll probably think, well, actually, it's not a million miles off what I wanted at times. Um, I know mm. we've talked about some different in-game adaptability and subtle tweaks that maybe we didn't see under Paul Cook, but that is what also a fundamental principle of what he wanted, his front players to give absolutely everything and then and then freshen them up. And that is the perfect segue, Stewie, as a professional that you are, to talk about certain Mr. Cook. Uh, but by way of ending sexy stuff, just a reminder to support our sponsor, Manscaped, by using the code KOA at manscaped.com for 20% off and free delivery. Make yourself look sexy with all their various trimmers and cologne and underwear and that kind of stuff. Um, Paul Cook, some people may find him sexy by way of a segue. Um, but boys... <laughs> That's a bit. It's a bit ropey. <laughs> Last week, when we had a little insight into the nerve centre in uh, in Hutch Towers, full now as we know of kits, trainers, and other assorted things, um, Mr. Cook was on the TV, um, and we speculated at the time that we'd probably end up picking that up because it would probably be interesting. And indeed, it was Paul Cook talking for the first time about his exit from Ipswich Town. Um, didn't really say anything. You probably wouldn't really have expected clearly said that he thought it was way too soon to to get rid of him. I guess the most interesting thing for me anyway, was the bit about how he would have left in the summer if he'd have been told that he had to have success straight away. And just by way of of finishing the show this week, it it seems apt that we reflect on that. So Hutchie, you were the man who brought it to our attention. What did you make of of Mr. Cook's chat, his words? Um, I think the first thing would be just to say that, I think it's pretty clear that this is a, a first move to get himself back into work. Mm. Um, I think there's a clear desire there. But in terms of the point you've just raised there, um, there's success and then there's success, right? I, I don't think anyone was asking Ipswich Town to be top of league. What He wasn't sacked because he wasn't top of the league. Mm. Um, I think the, the job for him came to an end because they were... I, were they tenth and still eleventh, I think, actually, when when he was fired, it wasn't it wasn't that they weren't romping the league. It's that they were had lost touch with the playoffs and were were trending downwards. Um, so, I, 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 look, uh, the the point about instant success is a, a valid discussion point from him. It's like what what was the expectation? He's also talked about how making so many changes to the squad was a hindrance. That's a, a change that he obviously instigated. Um, but but in terms of the success side of things, if they'd been sixth mm. or seventh, even eighth with kind of just but in touch, I don't think that change would have happened 
when it, do you think when it even did. even if they'd beaten Arsenal under twenty ones and Barrow in that week, he could Quite still possibly. be manager of Ipswich Town. You know, that's what that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, wasn't it? I mean, he's certainly being a lot of what he says is you can garner sympathy and it is valid, but he's he's being a little selective in terms of this. You know, for a very long time, he was wanting just to sweep the end of last season under the rug as if that mm. had not, absolutely nothing to do with him. We've talked about Kieran McKenna being a, a manager who's hopefully going to get the best out of players and adapt and and, and work out a way to, to make them functional. Um he didn't do that. He took over a team that was seventh from just outside of the playoffs and had won three games in a row, and and they fell away disastrously, didn't they? And then it was it was his decision to to be demolition man, and he's almost making it sound like that that wasn't, you know, that was that was beyond his control. So he's being a little selective, and as as is his want, he's he's trying to sort of, uh, you know, use the national platform to uh, to sell himself appropriately for for the next job, but. Um, Maybe being a little selective with with some of the things that he's talking about. Yeah, there's a job at Chillingham now, boys. Maybe um, Man, the other that, that that could not be a different job to, to the Ipswich <laughs> job right now. Money is tight at yeah. Chillingham. Um, be a brave man that that goes in goes in there. I think. Yeah, I can't see it. Um, the other the other interesting thing, I guess, from from his from his comments, were kind of perhaps hinting at maybe some friction with Ashton having to work with a performance team that he hadn't brought in. Um, was that the way you you read it, boys? Yeah, there was there was a a second very similar interview that he did with it. It was it was just some passing comments on a Chesterfield podcast that he did. Clearly, he clearly did it way before Christmas as well. It was mm. before the Sky interview that discussed that the, almost the exact same things. But I think it's just a manager with with his own ideas and. I don't like. I don't necessarily like the word old school because I, I I wouldn't say Paul Cook was an old school manager, but it, mm. it it's maybe just a an example of him not being the right fit for for what is here now, which I would describe as quite a an attempt at a modern structure mm. at, at Ipswich, um, and that's something Paul Cook just wasn't used to, and it it for whatever reason the two didn't click together. Mm. That's how I'd view that one. Yeah, I think if you lined up Mark Ashton's vision of how a football club should be, um, this is pretty much spot on now, isn't it, in terms of the kind of coach that he's got, the manager he's got, and the way he fits into the the Ashton structure, data dashboards and performance teams and that kind of stuff. I think now this would be a big tick, whereas maybe before Cook was probably perhaps the, the one kind of bit of friction in that whole seamless machine, Stewie, you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, the, putting the recruitment room side of things to one to one side, um, the the performance team, the fitness side of things. I think Paul Cook will, has made it pretty clear now that he didn't think the players were fit enough to play his mm. intense brand of football. We know that the fullbacks had to be ultra fit, and um, you know, just in general, the team. He's a manager that had. Used to do pre-season running along beaches and going to local boxing gyms, and I think a lot of that got got stopped by Andy Rolls and the performance team there now. And he would argue that he wasn't able to get the players to the level of fitness that that he required. Um, so, and, and then we've heard from people like Luke Wolfenden to say that a lot of the the, the fitness work has been kind of football based. Um, so instead of just running for the sake of running, it's been 
you know they've described it as more enjoyable sessions so far so um we'll, we'll know this is the thing we as outsiders never know what goes on on a training pitch and you, you can only ever look at the number of injuries that people have got at any time and people come put two and two together and probably quite often come up with with five we're all guilty of that but I think that would be Paul Cook's argument ultimately that he, he wasn't able to get the players as fit as he would like. Mm. Rossi, did you take anything away from the Paul Cook comments other than we've already discussed? It was um it was just time. It timed all right because it was like a month, wasn't it, to the to the day that he got sacked. Mm. So the um I don't know if it's the right phrase to use, we can cut this out. The gagging order of them <laughs> um talking. because <laughs> um, I'm sure they've got maybe in their contracts you can't do any media for a month. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much to the day he went on to Sky Sports, you know, the biggest, you know, media platform for sport, really, for him to go out and talk about his tenure at the club. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of fans were engaged by that. And, uh, yeah, a lot of talking was made. Mm. That's obviously pure speculation. We don't know if that existed. But, yes, the timing is, is convenient. Um, Rossi? By way of ending the pod, um, the Tractor Girls were back in action, weren't they, yesterday? Uh, they they won again, didn't they? I mean, I, I can't say as I followed it. Oh, they didn't. Oh, I saw they won their luck. What happened? Have, have, oh, you, what, just, what, have what? you just assumed they always win? I've, I've <laughs> got to be honest. Yeah, I do. Because <laughs> they normally <laughs> do, don't they? Ipswich Town women play, Ipswich Town women win. And I saw they were one nil up, so I assumed that would be the way the, the game ended <laughs> with a victory. But no. So were they playing? And, and what happened, Rossi? They're playing Portsmouth, um, a good side. Um, mm. And yeah, it was a 1-1 draw. Natasha Thomas scored her 11th goal of the season to open the scoring. Um, but then in the second half, Pompey got the equaliser. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those games where they dominated, but didn't take their chances, didn't test the keeper enough. And Pompey overall maybe deserved the point. So it's another so, point dropped, but another point earned as well, really. So can't so, win them all. Whereabouts are the, are the girls in the league now then? They're still top. Top of the league. Top of the league. Um, Southampton's game, who are our rivals, their, their game got postponed because of weather and all that jazz. Um, so, <laughs> don't know why I brought that out. Uh, so, um, what, yeah, what was the other now. jazz? Can we can we just confirm the weather and... <laughs> all the other jazz. Is, is there any other jazz or was it just the weather? Just the weather, just pretty the weather. much. Just the weather. Yeah. Just the weather. But um but no, a point earned and, and they move on to next weekend. But uh yeah, Natasha Thomas doing what she does best, scores goals. Where uh, can we expect a, a tractor girls talk this week, Rossi? Is it gonna be one? Yeah, hopefully um well on Tuesday, Blue Wilson's just um talking to our contacts about getting a guest on. So um stay tuned for that. Super look out for that later this week. Um boys, we've done just about an hour, which is usually a good length of, of podcast for us. Is there any anything else you wish to discuss before we take our leave and start the working week? Uh, no other business. No other business. I have some other business. Rossi, I don't know if you, you oh. listened to this or watched it, um, but last week's show we finished with New Year wishes and I finished with my wish for each of you boys. Uh, and my wish for you was to pass your bloody driving test. <laughs> um, and last we spoke about this, my friend, you said your test was in November. So can you bring us and the listeners slash viewers up to speed with, with what is the latest on, on Rossi's driving school? February is hopefully the month I get it done because I was going to have it in November, but um, sadly I had to go to a funeral. And oh. yeah, so <laughs> I did get asked by a few people though in Gillingham. Um, 
I don't know his relation to you, Andy, but Colin did ask me when he was in the stand. Good old Colin, who's a, a listener. Hello, Colin, if you're, you're listening. He did ask me, how are you getting on with driving? Did, did you get it done? I went, no, my friend. But hopefully this is the year that Ross Halls will be driving on those roads. And I'll be hopefully driving the lads to an away game. So. Oh, my God. I'm not sure about that, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this, I mean, yeah. That, sounds, that sounds like a kind of tagline to a film, isn't it? This is the year that Ross Halls is on the roads. It could be like a yeah. some kind of horror thriller. Um, I did also just hear someone say I need a wee. So um, uh, that was probably... my three. That was my three-year-old daughter came running. That's that's yeah, and yeah, the big the big thumping of all four <laughs> arms and legs kind of coming up the stairs. I need a wee. Um, that, seems, that seems a good a good time to end. <laughs> yeah, it's not my it's not my problem. Uh, her, her mother is here. So superb. Um, uh, all right, well, thanks for listening this week, friends, listeners, viewers, whatever. Um, we should also just mention very, very briefly that last week, the last show, we broke one million all-time listens, which is a fairly tremendous and, and staggering number. Um, so if you are, and clearly you are, if you're listening to this, one of those listeners, thank you very much for for, uh, for listening, for watching, for getting involved with the pod. It's tremendous. We do enjoy making it, and it's great that so many people listen to it. On that note, please uh, follow us across all social medias, Kings of Anglia on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I know the YouTube subscribers are going up nicely, Rossi. Also leaves a five-star review on iTunes because it helps even more people discover us via the iTunes charts visibility-wise. Uh, and that's it. So your Monday, your happy Monday is underway. Um, Ipswich Town won spectacularly at the weekend, which sets us up nicely for a good week. We'll be back later on this week, hopefully with some sexy stuff to chuck around. But until then, have a great start to the week and we'll see you then. to football, Brexit to Pokeville. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon.